they are scared and the thoughts that they're having in their head are causing them to freeze, which looks like they're not motivated because they're not going out and doing more things. When you can shift those thoughts, then the behaviors are gonna shift. Confidence breeds motivation. Welcome to your Journey to Joy podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski, and I'm on a mission to help you find joy in the chaos of life. As a retired nurse, multi-passionate entrepreneur, and mom of four adult children, I know what it's like to feel the overwhelm of it all and wonder if and when the joy will show up again. And I've learned it's up to us to go find that joy. On this show, you will hear inspiring stories from those who have overcome all kinds of life challenges, tips on how to stay healthy and vibrant during the ups and downs of life, and simple ways on finding joy in your own life. Let's face it, life is messy, yet when we travel together on this journey, support and encourage each other along the way, that joy starts to show up again. I'm so excited to lead you on this journey of you to find the joyful life that you deserve. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am your host, Moira Gorski. So glad you're here and so glad that you are joining us in the second season of my podcast. Uh, Learn so much. And um, we love to highlight people that have overcome addictions and struggles in life. But we also, I also love to highlight those that are helping those along the way. And um, I've learned through my own life and also so many stories that I've shared that there's always going to be chaos, right? There's always going to be the juggling. And um, we can sit there and we can say that, woe is me type of thing, or we can really go out and sometimes it's finding the help. Sometimes it's just asking for some help from some friends, but it's really going and finding the joy in life. And sometimes you have to dig for that. Sometimes it takes a little while, but we can't get rid of that, the ups and downs of life, but we can intentionally go find the joy. So again, so glad that you're joining me. And today I have my friend Alicia Millard uh, joining me. We're going to have a great talk about what teens and kids are struggling with these days and how we can help them. But really, I think that realization and the awareness of what they're going through is so, so helpful. And Alicia hangs out in that world. Um, So before I bring her on, Alicia has a degree in psychology and human relations. She is a professionally certified life coach and health coach with an international coach federation. And she is educated as a teen coach practitioner. She's a full-time wife, a full-time mom of three. She works full-time. Done that for over 20 years. And I know she's an awesome volunteer too, and some great um, places in this area as well. And that takes a big heart. Um, she really provides customized life coaching for teens and young adults. As her clients work with her, they really gain the skills that they need to overcome those struggles of life and build that confidence so that again, we can handle life struggles. We know that there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be struggles that come in life. We need to have those tools and those skills so that we can, um, overcome them. So thank you, Alicia, for joining me today. I'm so thrilled you're here. Thank you, Moira, for that introduction and for having me. I'm I'm very excited. Yeah, absolutely. I always start my podcast with either somebody telling me their story of how they, what the struggles they went through or really, and sometimes it starts there and then it, it leads into like why they're so passionate about what doing what they're doing. So I'd love to have you share with the audience really why you're passionate about helping the teens. Cause boy, this teens and young adults, it ain't, you know, it ain't so fun. I mean, I'm a mom of four and I've, uh, I have young, young adults, youngest of 19, oldest of 26. And I love my kids, but boy, those teen years and sometimes those young adult years can be pretty trying on the, on the parents, right? Yes. I, I explain it. It's like a roller coaster without a seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's true. It's thrilling, exciting. We're we love it. We can't wait to get off it, but we also miss it and we want to do it again. But it is it is my explanation of raising a teen, a, a roller coaster without a seagull. Mm-hmm. Lots of twists and turns. Yeah. So why did you decide to do what you're doing today? My story, when it comes to um, psychology, I've, I've been in it for a very long time. I've always had a passion for it. Um, I am a case manager at a homeless shelter. So when it comes to crisis, when it comes to what adults are facing um, after a lifelong uh, journey that was challenging. I see that. I'm experienced with it. And I think when it comes to teens, like you had mentioned, I have a 23-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 15-year-old. So I've been there. I've done it. And I'm starting really again with the 15-year-old. 
And when I see the differences, what our time um, in the past five years, what has changed, even from when we were teens, the changes, I really have a heart for what these kids, these teens, young adults are going through. Not only did COVID shift a lot of uh, their norm, but society in general has made it very difficult for these teens to be able to process what they go through every single day. I'm the house that everybody comes to when it comes to the teenagers. So I hear from the friends, I talk to all the friends, and I decided there's not that much emphasis on coaching when it comes to teens. And that is what they really need. They just need, like you had mentioned, those life skills, the tools um, to better face the obstacles that they have in a daily scenario. Very true. I mean, when I look at back at being a teenager, I mean, things were things were different then. We didn't have cell phones. We were told to go outside and play, right? And we could go outside and play and like walk around the neighborhood and, yeah. you know, uh, be at a, na- a neighbor's house, just whatever, go out for several hours. And I think for parents, there wasn't that worry that like, perhaps maybe they're worried a little bit what we're getting into, but it's like the whole safety thing. And like, it's just what you do, just go outside and come inside, you know, when it's, when you're hungry or something like that. And you just went out, um, you didn't have that social media pressure. You just, you hung out with your, your friends or your neighbors. And, and that was the influence that, that, that you had. I feel like with this social media and this texting and the phone, like it's all of this, like, I feel like the teens are bombarded so much bombarded with, you know, the stuff that we were learning and all of the relationships and all that kind of stuff, but are bombarded with it as opposed to whatever, you know, kind of we went through at that pace. It feels like it's just escalated so much that what's coming at them. So like you said, we have to help them process. We all had to figure out how to process all of that stuff in growing up, but it's just coming at this breakneck speed. And so they don't know what to do. We had a circle of friends. If a boy broke up with us, they said it in person. You know, now kids have thousands of friends or followers, and they have lost that close relationship in some sense. Now when a boy breaks up with them, it's through social media, and everyone finds out at the same time, and it's posted because now they're listed as single and not taken, and everyone finds out before you even find out. So... It is going at a much faster pace because of social media. Now, I love MapQuest. Thank God social media exists. I'm not going to lie. There's a mm-hmm. lot of positives um, to social media. But from a teen standpoint, teenagers and even young adults, there's a lot of comparing. There's a lot of um, pressures to be, you know, when you took a picture of yourself, you didn't have the opportunity to filter it and then change it. And then make yourself look like what you want to look like. And then everyone thinks that's that's real. And then the person who's looking at it can't compare to that. So then they're filtering up and then they're avoiding. And it just goes in this constant cycle of never feeling good enough because they're constantly in a comparison state. And, and that is, I think, the hard part. You know, teens up to actually the age of 25, their frontal cortex isn't even fully developed yet. That is where your rationalization that is, um, I don't want to say common sense, but that is where all that lives. And when that's not even fully developed yet, to then have to rationalize and comprehend and and make decisions in a life that they're living in, is it's difficult. It's like running a car with half of an engine. How do you expect to stay on the freeway to keep up with everybody else? So that's where I see the struggle. Um, I work with a lot of teens and young adults, and I can tell you that overall, the the main concern is confidence, um, self-esteem. Those are all things that these kids in general are struggling with. And because of that, it causes them to almost be in a free state. You know, we've all heard the fight and flight. Well, I, I feel there's a F, a third F, which is freeze. And this freeze stage has caused kids to just not move. And I hear from parents a lot, they're lazy, they're not motivated. I hear that a lot, they're not motivated. And when you really start breaking down where the thoughts are, it's not that they're not motivated, they are scared. And the thoughts that they're having in their head are causing them to freeze, which looks like they're not motivated because they're not going out and doing more things. When you can shift those thoughts, then the behaviors are going to shift. 
Confidence breeds motivation. You cannot have one without the other. That's just kind of breaking down on a smaller scale, what I'm seeing across the board. And a lot of it has to do with, I am not good enough. The two senses I work with my kids in the very first session is to say, I am worthy and I'm capable. When they first say those words, it's because of words I give them. They say it, but they do not believe it. They can't even look at me while they say it. By the end of the process, they have a much different behavior when they say it. They can look at me because they now think it and believe it. So it's not the words, it's the believing of the words that then changes the behaviors. Yeah, totally get the fight, flight, and freeze. You know, during the pandemic, we were forced to freeze, right? Mm -hmm. We were forced to freeze to a certain extent that we had to stay at home. We had to, you know, couldn't go out and do the regular activities. We couldn't go to school and things like that. So we were forced to be in one spot. So we were told to, to slow down. And then I don't think that we've had plenty of discussions about this. You and I, that never, that didn't help anybody, you know, because we, then it's like, okay, then they're frozen, if you will. And then they're watching on social. Yes. When they're teens and young adults, you can't just like say, okay, out you go, out you go. You Sometimes go. they're not always going to respond to us as and like, well, forget it, mom. I'm just going to stay home and play video games or whatever. It's safe. And um, they're drawing to that. Also, the relationships that they're having through video games or texting, they're safe relationships because there's almost like a barrier there. It's not that personal, in-person conversations. They, you know, Snapchat 800 people in a day. But if you ask a teen, if you had a serious problem, who could you go to? They struggle with coming up with mm. who they would really go to. Sometimes I ask them to list you know, I'll see how many followers they have, or I'll see their social media accounts, and they can't list five people that they would trust their life with. And that's really sad because mm. they have a sense of belonging, but yet they don't have that real natural belonging. And, you know, it's interesting. I will always ask parents, when I ask them how old their kids are, I look to when COVID happened. So it's very interesting that the freshmen in high school right now they were that sixth, seventh, and eighth grade somewhat. And junior high, we all know, is a growing process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not necessarily the most comfortable process, but is a process that we all go through so we are better able to handle ourselves as we walk into high school. You knock those years out. They were just in sixth grade sitting at home, and now they're freshmen in high school with upperclassmen. They've missed an entire growth experience and they are struggling big time. Mm. You look at 19 year olds who are just going to college now. When was COVID for them? Freshman and sophomore year. They were frozen in their house without that growth necessary. Now they're juniors and seniors already talking about college. They don't, they don't even know how they got there. And when I get these parents come to me saying, we don't understand why they don't want to go to college. We don't understand. They missed very important years of development to be able to process what their next step is. So again, I'm not blaming COVID for all the problems in the world, but when it comes to young adults and teenagers, you do have to take it into consideration the years that they missed from social growth. Another thing that sometimes parents don't realize in some aspects is what they deal with in school, obviously, like you and I just said, is very different than what we dealt with school. We had fire drills that we loved and we enjoyed to go outside and get out of math class. They have active shooter drills where they're going under their desks and fearing for their lives because they go home and see it real on TV. Those are real fears that we did not have when we went to school. We had math class, but we didn't have a fear that we were going to die at school. Our kids, this generation, do have those real fears and they're justified. So again... All of the things that they are facing is different than things that we were facing. However, building the resilience and learning those skills is what's going to help them not only get through a tough time, but it will help them after a difficult time. Mm -hmm. So those are two very important things that um, I hope for parents and teens to learn is that, you know, resilience through adversity. Yeah, well, that's that's good realization for people to think about that again and why why COVID and that pandemic and shutting down, why that did really 
impact us all, but um, certainly the teens. You know, we talk about, you know, sending your kids to college and it's great to get that academic training and things like that. But a big part of college is socialization, right? It's that next step, like you said, of growth that they're going through of like their first step away from home, perhaps, and they have to live amongst other people that are not their family and like learning how to navigate through the, you know, where you get your food and doing your laundry and all that stuff. That's a big step. And like I've seen it within the the eating disorder world with our daughter and with others that we we know and with just the, you know, the all the sessions that I've gone to and things like that. Yeah. When struggles start like that, like a mental health or an eating disorder, like it's like they're stunted in their maturity. And I think that this is really part of that is that they don't, uh -huh. you know, with addictions and disorders, I mean, they're kind of taken away. They're they're so in involved with this disorder that it takes them out of that experience that they normally would go through. And I think this really points exactly to why, because it takes them again, we were taken physically out of being with people, but with the mental health disorders, they're, you know, anxious, they're, yes. you know, consumed with this stupid identity of like an eating disorder that, you know, it's just so consuming and it's so restrictive in their thinking that it takes them out of those day-to-day -day type of things that they're normally would learn if they were, like you said, in high school or in junior high or whenever, whenever it is that they start to struggle with that, because they say is they're starting to get back into recovery. And we've seen it with our daughter. Like, it's like, she hasn't gone through though. And to no fault of her own. I mean, she was deep in this crap, but she didn't experience those things. And like, Oh, how do I do? How do you make that? And sometimes she'll say, Oh, I shouldn't ask you. I'm like, you can ask me. You just didn't go through that in high school or we, you went to college a little bit, but didn't, that it had to come out of college. So you haven't had those experiences and that's what the kids, like you're saying, aren't experiencing. And another thing too, when I think about growing up, like I was grateful that my mother was able to be home with us and raise us um, three siblings. And so she was always home and we came home and my sister, I was talking to her this weekend, like you could always, it seems like every day you could always smell cookies, you know, yes. like baking, like chocolate chip cookies or banana bread or whatever. And I love to bake because my, I learned to bake with my mother in the kitchen. So she was always there when we moved here to the Midwest. When I was in high school, she did start to go and do some uh, substitute teaching. But for the most part, she was home. But I also I don't this is a sidelight, but I also played the piano when I was from when I was five until college. And so we bought a new piano and I found a great teacher. And so my focus was I had to come home and play the piano for a couple hours. So it didn't matter if my mom was home or not. But the fact is she was home for one. Yes. And not as many women, you know, or dads are, are home when their kids come home. And the second thing is our phone was attached to the wall. Yes. <laughs> so if Mary called, right. It's like, hey, Moira, Mary's on the phone for you and gave me the phone. I pulled it into the other room so my mother didn't hear me, right? And I talked on the phone and then get off the phone. It's time to eat or did you do your homework? You know, all of that. So then you hung up the phone, took the phone back to the kitchen or wherever it was. And then your mom's like, how's Mary? And so then you, she was there inviting you to process yeah. and talk about your conversation with Mary. That ain't, that doesn't happen. I saw that with my same kids as the cell phones came in and their social media, like you have no idea what, who they're talking to, what they're going through, what's going on at school. I would ask the, I'd hear something that like happened in the high school and I'd ask Judy down the street. And I'm like, what about this? She's like, yeah, yeah. Cause she, she was like the all knowing. She knew everything that was going on. Yeah. We always do. But then I would ask one of my kids and they're like, oh yeah, this, this, if they tell me, but they didn't tell me unless they were asked. Right. So I think that's a big part of what's happening, too, is that we have no idea what they're going through until perhaps it's too late or it's they're really in a crisis and they don't know how to handle it. So then they blow off at school or they hit their friend or they get in a car accident or whatever. Right. We don't know. And so we're not able we're not there to be able to really help them. Yeah. No, you hit it perfectly. And, you know, like you said, we would have one conversation. We would hang up. Kids are having 10 conversations at the same time with different people referring to a bunch of different things. Or, you know, there will be a fight that happens at school. It's videoed and it's spread amongst everybody. 
and everybody sees it. And what's hard is not only for the child who was in the fight, everybody knows about, everybody's talking about it, but no one's really addressing it. It's just part of a normal happening. And it's just one thing after another, after another. It's like the five o'clock news nonstop when it comes to social media and, and what the kids, and again, I am, there's a lot of bonuses to social media, but when it's used in a way that sometimes teens are using it, it's, it's very difficult. So I'll get asked all the questions. I get the question asked a lot. How much time should I allow my child on social media? I get that a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting question because first I always say it depends on age. So that that's number one. You have to assess the age, but let's just focus on high school right now. My answer for that is it's not about limiting the time. It's about having the expectations of what your child should be doing. So then they balance their own time on social media. For example, if grades are important and you have a certain expectation of where you believe your child has the ability to do have grades, then grades should be an expectation. Sports, outside activities, youth groups, um, community service, whatever. Absolutely, 100% children should be involved in something outside of school, whatever that might be. No, that doesn't mean 10 activities, because sometimes mm -hmm. parents have their children in 10 activities, and they want to, them to excel in all of them, and that puts a lot of pressure and stress on it as well. So I'm not saying the extreme. But something, because if your child is working towards good grades, guess what takes time? Studying. If your child is um, in some type of extracurricular activity, guess what? That takes time. If your child is involved in a youth group or they're volunteer, that takes time. So filling their time with expectations and having that agreement is number one. If they're doing all those things, then... The expectation, then there's not a limit. There's not a number of how much time they should or shouldn't do on a phone. That's my opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. It's just my opinion because when kids don't have anything to do and there are no expectations and kids are told what to do, but we tell them a lot of what not to do, mm. what they do then is usually things we as parents don't like. So it's more about telling and having the conversations with your teens on what to do and what you want for them and having making sure they're involved in other things. Now, I'll get from parents, well, they don't want to do anything. I get that too. Well, what does that mean? Let's figure out why it is they don't want to do anything. It usually goes back to that freeze that we were talking about. It's not mm -hmm. that they don't want to do anything. It's something is causing them to avoid doing something. So... I never give a, well, I believe 30 minutes a day is appropriate. If your child has no school that day, but they've done everything else, if they want to be on it, then let them be on it because they have to learn how to balance their time. Biggest struggle I see with teens and young adults, especially the ones who missed those crucial years in high school, is they struggle with balancing their time. And when they have that struggle, then that leads to other concerns and obstacles. So it's helping them as they're young teens, as they grow to balance, teaching them how to balance their time and let them figure out, well, now I can't talk to my friend for however long because I've done all the other things that are part of my life. Right. And I think that's just a different way to look at it with a different view that makes everyone mm -hmm. happy. Yeah. When I work with a teen or I said, well, I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that. My mom says I shouldn't do and I don't hear what you should do. Hmm. Although I do joke with my kids and I say, stop shitting on yourself because a lot of shoulds bring guilt. But what is it that you want to do? What is it that you can do? What do you have control over? What do you not have control over? Once you start peeling all those layers, it's amazing what you can find. And it's amazing what your kids will then start looking to do. I would love to say that all children listen to everything their parents say. Not true. I do this as a profession. I would be lying if I said my children listen to all of the advice I give them because they think I'm brilliant. None of that is true. I'm their mom. 
Someone else could say the exact same thing to them that I would say, and it's like gold. So it's important to have key mentors in your children's life as well. Mm. So when I mentioned, whether it's a coach, whether it's a um, youth group, having those key adults in their life who are going to share a similar message that then you would be sharing are key because your kids will listen to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if they do hear something that's similar to what you said, they still will focus more on what the adult said to them. So those are why those things are very important, in my opinion, when it comes to helping um, your teen not be so isolated and on their phone in that world. Brought to you by Gorski Wellness and the possibility of a better you. Are you feeling sluggish? Ready for a change? Need more energy? Up for a bigger challenge? I'm Moira Gorski, retired nurse and wellness advocate. For over 22 years, I've been helping people live healthier lives while making small changes each and every day. Those small changes lead my clients to living a healthier lifestyle with markedly better health. As a brand ambassador for the Shackley Corporation, the most clinically proven wellness company in the world, I guide my clients to make healthier choices each day with their food, supplements, skincare, workouts, and mindset. They say getting started is half the battle. Let's make healthy happen together. If you're ready for simple, natural, sustainable solutions to feeling and looking your best, let's connect. You'll find a link in the show notes or reach out to me at moiragorski.com. Here's to a better you. Yeah, we live in the Midwest. We live in uh, neighboring uh, towns, you know, beautiful, upper middle class, all of that. So at least from my experience in my town, when the kids went to school and to high school, it was like pretty much, you know, you were either part of the football team or part of, you know, show choir because they were state champs and all of that. And so it was all this like, oh, you know, rah, rah, Tiger Nation, which again was great. Right. But if you didn't, but if you didn't fit in there, if you didn't, if you didn't have any interest there, then it was like, okay, then what about me type of thing? And then it's also like, okay, where are you going to go to school? And I remember going to a brunch the uh, Girl Scout leader put on in high school when our girls then became seniors, you know, and she led us all in elementary school. Just remember leaving there and our daughter was in the midst of a struggle that year for sure. And um, all the, the moms did was talk about their kids and what application they filled out or what school they went to see and all that. I'm like, okay, that's great. but like what about the kid or what are you doing? You know, that type of thing. And so there's this expectation that they got to go to school and they go. And I've learned that not everybody, I have two boys that are one's building houses and one's working on the big stealth bombers as a mechanic. It's amazing. They like to do stuff with their hands, give them something to do. They don't want to sit in school and listen to the stupid teacher. That's what we heard from them, but it's because that's not what they're designed to do. But if that's all they hear, is you got to go to college, you got to go to college. I mean, we went, we sent one of them to college, but he was so undecided. It didn't work. He came home, then he tried another school. It didn't work. Now he's building houses and he's happy. So it's that expectation that, and I love what you said, like our parents, the parents are always saying, we shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. What, what should you do or what could you do? Right? Because if we put too many expectations on them, that it's, we have to do this, or if you don't, you're not living up to my expectations. Well, Correct. and that's it. Exactly. A lot of parents have their own vision. Right. But I also want to talk about a little bit of social media, just because this happened just recently about how social media can be helpful. Because like we yes. said, it can, it can be a detriment for sure, but it also can be helpful. So our yes. daughter who, again, if you've listened to my podcast, you know that she's had um, an eating disorder since she's in high school. She's 24. She's on her journey. Uh, we, I had the privilege of interviewing her for my podcast um, last year um, during eating disorder week. She was home and we sat next to each other here and had a beautiful conversation about um, that she was made for more. And it was a lovely conversation. And and so then since then, um, or just recently, she, um, I connected her Somebody from our networking group that we were at last week said, oh, you know, your daughter, my daughter. Okay, so back up. So my daughter also, instead of just straight journaling, she writes poetry. And it's it's pretty brilliant. And it's pretty, it's just awesome. And so she's looking at um, typing up her poetry and creating a book to sell. 
And so we were talking about that at one of our, it is amazing. And I, I, again, introduced her to somebody that helps publish books. And so I was talking to Beth, um, our mutual friend at networking lunch. And she said, you should connect Anna with this girl because she's also part of this magazine that she's doing. And she goes, she's, she's been writing and stuff. And, and we, and she, small world that it is, she taught, she was a kind of a student teacher for her for a trumpet years ago. Wow. And she, the, the girl is my son, my youngest son's age. So anyway, um, and hopefully this is okay to share, but the, the importance is that they got connected. Anna looked at her account and she makes these awesome stickers and she goes, I'm going to buy a sticker from her. Cause I just really like that. She came up last night before she went to bed and she said, I almost cried because this girl got back to her and said, thank you for buying the sticker from me. And she said, I listened to the podcast that you did with your mom. And I wanted to reach out and tell you that I've been struggling with da da da. da. And I had this conversation because of, because Anna, if you look on her, her social media or Instagram, she has that link to that podcast. That's one of her things that she puts there. And so she shared yeah. that that was done a year ago. Like we don't know who needs to yes. hear things at a certain time, but that she said, and I just gave her a hug. I said, see, you are making an impact. Your story matters. That's why I do this podcast. Everybody's story matters. And we don't know who needs to hear it or who will hear it at what time. But that was through social media, through this connection and, oh, do this and like this and like, you know, whatever. But because of that, that was a positive, awesome thing. Now, also, you know, we know that there's lots of people that are on social, on Instagram, they're sharing their businesses, they're sharing how they're helping other people. Yes. I know my daughter's connected with people. I've connected with people. I've been able to share them. I've reached out to them and they're going to be guests on my podcast, you know? So there's really positive things out there. Absolutely. But I think, again, it gets back to that as parents of teens and young adults, we need to just, we need to try to have this relation, this open communication relationship with them so that we can, they can feel comfortable coming to us with the good stuff and the bad stuff and uh, everything in between. And they can see us as somebody that they can trust, right? That we're not going to put that judgment on them. And why are you doing that? And you shouldn't do that. And you should talk to that person and blah, blah, all that. And that just that you're a safe place. Like you said, sometimes the parents, the kids don't feel like their parents are. So like you said, I just want to reiterate, like finding a mentor or you know, maybe it's your uncle or your aunt, or maybe it's your friend's good friend. Like I've Perfect. seen that in my own experience. I've seen that with others. It's like, or maybe it's the person at school who we saw, you know, kids would hang out after school at Mr. Such and Such's room yeah, because they just did. But he was like a mentor to them or she was, you know, that they felt safe and they could go there. So that's so... yes. There's some positive, again, I want to reiterate, there's positive things in that social media. You just have to be careful. 100%. And I've heard it said from a therapist that sometimes, for sometimes that world is so small, right? They've become, the kids have come into this world of freezing and all that. And so it can be small. And sometimes social is a place that they can feel a little bit more connected, but not always in the positive. But, you know, there is some, I feel like there is some worth there. There is some positiveness there again but we got to stay we got to stay connected and kind of help them navigate yeah navigate where your focus lies is where your energy is going to flow and i 100 percent agree with you there are so many wonderful and good things out there available at their fingertips if they search for it so it's knowing what they are searching for it's figure out why they are searching for those things. Um, and it's it's having that relationship with your teen, which is sometimes can be a struggle on a lot of levels. Um, and, you know, sometimes parents will be like, well, I tried talking and they won't talk. Well, that's probably sometimes because you were doing all the talking and they were just listening. Um, it's knowing some key questions. You know, I drive my daughter to and from school. And my older boys are like, you didn't do that for us. And they they get all salty on it and they say she's spoiled. And I say, well, I, I couldn't because she was a baby and you guys had to take the bus and that's how it is. But the reason I do that, those five minutes in the car, I get more information about what's going on than I 
possibly could do in the hour sitting in our house. You know why? We're not face to face. We're listening to the radio. That's right. She's probably still on her phone. I'm looking straight ahead. At least I should be driving. And we're. it's just a free flowing conversation. They don't feel that pressure. I always tell a parent, if you want to talk to your teen, don't go in their room and say, let's talk. They immediately shut it down. So you want to go out and, you know, have some ice cream or drive in the car, or especially with boys offer food. They're all out, you know, eating. Right. Maybe some, my boys have more conversations when their face is inside the refrigerator than I possibly could have. Those are the times where they feel relaxed. Those are the times that conversations happen when it's not as pressured point. Having a relationship might be challenging. It's just doing it in a different way that can help. And those are the examples I give. I did a talk for the school district. They're like, we want a really, really creative title. I came up with understanding your teenager. <laughs> we had huge response. They're like, we like it. And, and it was because it was as simple as that. It was just giving those key suggestions on how to understand where they are. You know, listen, if you re-scramble the word, spell silent. And our kids really want us to listen, which means mm. silent. It's amazing when they feel someone's listening to them and they feel you understand what they are saying. They will start coming up with their own ideas and start bouncing it off you. They just need to talk it out and get it out. If a teen has a issue, no matter what it is, if they say it and then we give all of our suggestions, which are probably fabulous because we've lived a life of experience and we do know what we're talking about, they're not at that moment able to hear it. They really walk away with, I'm still in my same situation. I said the problem. I think I've heard a bunch of suggestions, but I still have the problem. So talking, them talking through it and just listening and not giving the suggestions at that point, does it mean it won't be open in another arena? But at that point, sometimes they just want to listen. Your teen or young adult will fall off their seat if you don't say anything because they're sometimes waiting for that. But in reality, if they're really trying to solve something, and again, I'm talking teens and young adults. I'm not talking a younger child. That's different. Mm -hmm. Every age brings different techniques. But a teen just needs to let it out sometimes. So that is why. And I have two boys and a girl. Girls talk a lot more than boys do. So I get a lot in the car ride. If I would have mm -hmm. driven my boys, we probably would have listened to Sports Center and I wouldn't have gotten that much. But I get a lot from her. And it's during that time. So I think sometimes too, as parents, we just have to be creative and figure out what works for you and your teen. But if what you're doing is not working, it's okay to change it up. I hear so many times from parents, I feel like a failure. Why do you feel like a failure? Just because something that you're doing isn't working? No, it just means that that's not working. It doesn't mean you're a failure. Change it up, look for a different angle and see how that works. It's no mm -hmm. different than we try a recipe. If we cook something and we don't like it, we might add something a little more next time or leave something out. I change recipes all the time. Right. Um, to make it work how I think would work for me or my family. Well, and I think knowing that each of our children is different. Yes. Right. You know, even, I mean, sure, certainly boys versus girls, but I have three boys and they're all, they're all different. Yes. And I think the importance of birth order, you know, like what else is going on in the house at that time when oh. they're in there and, you know, did they go to high school by themselves or with their sibling Yes, or, you know, that kind of thing. But again, that car thing is, is brilliant. I've, it's worked for me. It's also like, I, we talked about dogs before we got on, like go walk the dogs. I remember, come on, let's go walk the dogs. And it's amazing what, you know, you kind of let them relax a little bit. And again, you're not looking at them. And so sometimes you can ask a question and it's brilliant. They like actually answer you because they don't have to look at you, but it's, it's very, very true. That's a very, again, a valid statement, yep. you know, in a, a choice of what to do. Cause I, again, it's worked. It's definitely worked um, for me. And what a brilliant thing. Listen, scrambled up is silent. I mean, that's, that's really brilliant. And you've given so many tips of how you work with people and things like that. But I think 
people might be wondering, well, what's the difference between a coach, like what you do, you're a life coach, you're a teen coach versus a therapist. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you going to get differently? Because again, I think that some people, some kids are like, I'm not going to go see a shrink or a therapist or whatever. That means I'm crazy. So, you know, what's the difference between those? Excellent question. When your child breaks their arm, you go to an orthopedic. You know exactly what to do when you have a broken arm, right? When a child is struggling from a mental health aspect, we'll call it, parents automatically know you don't go to an orthopedic, you go to a therapist, which is an okay original thought because sometimes it could be needed. My background is extensive in psychology. I worked at psychiatric hospitals. I am very familiar with the benefits of what therapists can do. But here's the number one difference. Therapy is is fabulous. So if you take a teen of where they're at personally, there might be some past, whether it's post-traumatic, whether it's big or little, but there's usually some type of maybe past experience that is causing them to be, we'll say freeze, frozen in the present. Therapy is wonderful to process, to go through past experiences so they can better function in the present. Talk therapy is wonderful for that. I have many clients that are doing therapy and coaching because here's the difference. I can go backwards with a with a teen if need be because of my experience in education, but I don't ever have to go back there. I talk exactly where they're at right now today and we come up and I work through by giving them skills to process so they can move forward. That is the number one in layman's term difference. Both are great, but sometimes with coaching, there's not a diagnosis because a lot of teens who are struggling don't necessarily need a diagnosis. They are just needing the skills and tools to better help themselves in their current life. Diagnosis is very important on serious um, issues. But if I was to say every teen is suffering from depression, that would not be a fair statement. But can I say every teen is suffering from some type of sadness, from some type of isolation, from some type of emotional feelings that are causing them to be stuck in their current situation? Yes, I can say that with full certainty, but that does not mean that every child is suffering from a clinical diagnosis as depression. Can I say every child has some type of stressors that are causing anxiety? 100%. But that doesn't mean that every child has the diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. So it's, it's really knowing and having good conversations with both a therapist or someone like me to see exactly what your child is struggling with in the current and what is it that they need. Like I mentioned before, I have plenty of clients that have um, that are working with therapists and are working heavily on things that need to be addressed, which is wonderful. Um, they might need some type of medication as well. So with their uh, psychologist, psych psychiatric uh, avenue, are going to have those um, available, which I am in full agreement if needed. I do not believe one is better than the other. It's just more, what is it that your child is struggling with? If your child is struggling with self-esteem and getting bullied at school, if your child is struggling with their inner thoughts due to the pressures around them, then you really have to look at what is it that they need that are going to help them move forward. So every situation is different. It's just that the normal response is to get a therapist because they don't have the broken arm. Therapy, to get in with a therapist now is months, six months to a year if you are lucky. Why is that? Is it because there's all these new diagnoses that need to be done? No. It just means there are so many kids struggling within today's times so it's figuring out what is it that they exactly need. Sometimes I will hear, you know, parents are going through a divorce, they put their child in therapy. Maybe that is needed. But I'll tell you what, usually the child is pretty upset and mad because they're thinking, why am I the one in therapy? Nothing's wrong with me. You're the one getting a divorce and I'm mad. Just using that as a mm -hmm. flipping example, nothing to be 
set in stone. Maybe it is needed. However, it's seeing where the, the teen's view is and what they think they're struggling with. Eating disorders absolutely should be working with a therapist, but also a coach can be an additional benefit because it is working out, okay, so what do we need to do now in this current situation so you can better your tomorrow? Mm-hmm. That's the the main difference, I believe, in my opinion, between the two. So it's it's more just looking at the need and deciding what has to happen and having a very honest conversation with both of the therapist or a coach like mm-hmm. uh, myself. I do not um, steer away from a therapist if needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good, though, with, again, if you're looking at um, cause again, we've heard on this podcast, sometimes you just have to deal with those past things that have happened, you know, and 100%. what's happened. And, you know, when this happened, when my parents got divorced, when this happened, like I created the story. And so then that's, you know, or when I broke my leg and I could no longer figure state escape, but that was my identity. Then I had, uh, you know, then I chose an eating disorder, you know, those kind of things. So sometimes yeah. you have to deal through that trauma yeah. if you of the past to process through. And I love, Again, that's what I do too. It's like, yeah, we're going to have chaos. We're going to have bumps in the road. We're going to have obstacles, but what can we, but let's again, notice that let's become aware of that. And then what can we create today to help you today, get through that and also create those tools for the future. Yeah. And I, I, that's something that I love when I work with teens or young adults is really getting them to see that they do have control over today. They can't change yesterday. And they can't make tomorrow, but what you do today will affect you tomorrow. It doesn't change you yesterday, mm-hmm. but what you do today. And when when teens or young adults or adults feel they are in that control of or in a better place to be able to do something today, then they start to have hope for tomorrow. I, I truly believe that many of the teens that I see or I talk to they really don't have that hope for tomorrow, which again kind of goes back to that freeze. And without that hope for tomorrow, why are you going to be motivated to do something today? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of working through that as well and breaking that down and how, what is your thought on that and how can that shift? Um, because I think you worded it great. The world is going to, um, the chaos is the chaos. That's the world. Mm-hmm. But how we react to the chaos, it is is what's going to determine how we feel, what we think, what we do for tomorrow. So the more mm-hmm. tools that you have can help in each situation. And anyone who has a diagnosis, that is 100% okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But here's the difference. When people say, I am depressed, there are people who have cancer. Do you ever hear people say, I am cancer? Mm. No. So that is just something that's part of being that doesn't make it you. And yeah. when you can look at it from a different angle, that's when that hope starts coming. Because just that example, sometimes people go, well, I never thought of it that way. I do have cancer. Well, I don't personally, but I'm just yeah. saying, <laughs> right. I don't want to announce it out there and people think I'm done. But if I was to have cancer, it's okay to say I have cancer. It's not okay to say I am cancer because now I'm identifying everything who I am mm-hmm. behind something that is part of me that doesn't make me me. Mm-hmm. So anyone who is struggling with any type of mental challenge or illness, it is 100% okay for it to be a part of you, but it doesn't make it you. Mm-hmm. And that is, again, where I believe hope can then start coming out of just changing that thought a little bit. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. That's really brilliant. And it's a great place to to end. And I hope that people, um, again, heard today some things that they can do um, as parents and as um, friends of teens. If you're a teen or a young adult, things that you can do. For your friends, if you see that, hear them struggling, whatever. But also, again, the importance of sometimes reaching out to somebody like Alicia, or working with a coach, and again, loving that that we're we're creating today that hope for today and that hope for tomorrow. Really, really great things. Thank you, Alicia. Um, tell my listeners where they can find you. Just any last words that you have for the audience. 
Well, first of all, thank you again for having me. It was a, it was a pleasure chatting. I, I love having conversations and just keeping it open like this and real. I'm a very to the point person, so mm -hmm. it's fun to do. So thank you again for having me. Um, if you would like more information, Unstoppable You is uh, my my business, and looking on www.unstoppableyou.life is certainly where you can learn more about coaching and contacting me through that if you would like to have just a conversation um, to find out what it is not only that I do, but for me to give some insight on um, being able to give a suggestion on your particular situation. So yes, mm -hmm. the, getting me through my website would be the best way to get a hold of me. And really just final thoughts. I like to bring up that roller coaster again. Enjoy the ride. It goes so fast. And people, if you have any listeners who are listening that have already passed the teen years, you can appreciate. And there are times you wish you could go back because it is such a fun and exciting. Enjoy each stage because each stage does pass. So enjoy it, pull the good out of it, and have fun with it because we all get off the roller coaster, as scary as it was, but we do enjoy the thrill of it. And so um, I always mm -hmm. you know, want to leave with, have fun, be the good, find the good, and just enjoy this time with your teen or young adult. They really do need you, even if they say they don't. Right. That's very true. As they become young adults, it's a different, it's a different time, but um, and that's where my kids are. And I, my message is just learn to accept wherever it's at. We didn't even talk about boundaries or, you know, that kind of thing, but um, just that idea of, okay, like, okay, we're not all going to be together for Christmas. You can only come time home this time. You can only, you know, oh, okay. Okay. Whatever you can give me, you know, it's a kind of like, enjoy what you get, enjoy what you get and enjoy the conversations. Yeah. If it's a Snapchat or yeah. if it's a FaceTime every Sunday, or if it's an every once in a while phone call, like just, you know, you know, enjoy that time. And um, again, really, really great insight. Again, I can, I mean, I know you're awesome and it, I'm awesome at what you do. And, um, and I heard it even more today. And I know that the listeners, again, got a lot of value with that too. And again, we're here to have that message that there is hope for tomorrow. There is roller coasters, there's chaos, there's ups and downs, but find things that um, that you can put in your tool belt and those skills that can help you today as well as in, in the future. So thanks, Alicia, for being here with me. Thanks, listeners, for coming back. And we will talk to you next time. Hey there, ready to live a more joyful life? considering connecting with someone who can help you? If so, I'd like to be that person. I offer a free consultation where we determine where the chaos is in your life and how you can learn to bring more joy each and every day. Visit my website, moiragorski.com, or simply email me, moira at moiragorski.com, with more joy in the subject line. I look forward to connecting, and I'm here to say, there will always be some chaos, which requires a little juggling, but you can find joy and live your life intentionally filled with that joy. Let me help you on your journey to joy. And that's joy, the journey of you.